Welcome to a place where we focus on how to build better versions of ourselves, learn to solve problems in our everyday circles, and inspire us to take action as leaders. Welcome to the Big Things Done Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Big Things Done Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Glover. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, I want to start with a pretty bold question. How many opportunities have you missed out on today? You know, maybe I should have even started with this question. Do you realize that you have had opportunities come across your life, opportunities for you to max out your fullest potential, opportunities for you to do your big thing? Do you even realize that? If you're like me, I've lived a lot of my life not realizing that there are opportunities every single day that come into my life that would allow me to move a little bit closer to doing my big thing. And you know what? As I've sat down and thought about it, I think I know why. And I want to share that with you in this episode. And even furthermore, I want to share with you a technique that I've been using to make sure that I don't pass those opportunities up and instead I aggressively attack them and take advantage of them, helping me max out my fullest potential each and every day. I'm going to talk through some of my life experiences and how that really was was brought home to me personally and then share some of those things that you can go out and live your best life and accomplish those goals that you've got, I know that you have, rolling around in your head, those big things that you want to go accomplish. But hey, before we get to that, real quick, a couple admin things. Um, hey, with COVID as a real part of our world today, my focus has been able to shift a little bit more towards this podcast, which is really exciting. So I'm a dental student, right? And as a as a dental student in a COVID world, as you can imagine, our clinic capacity and our ability just to go to school and treat patients has been has been pretty pretty diminished. Uh, we're still seeing patients, but my time at school is is a lot less than what it used to be. And with that comes the opportunity, there's that word again, opportunity, uh, for me to capitalize on other things that I'm doing, which includes this podcast. And so uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've been stewing about how do I take this podcast to the next level. And, and so I've got a couple things uh, in the chamber that I'm ready to, to pull the trigger on. But hey, one of the biggest things that I need in order to continue to grow this podcast is I need your help. If you love the podcast, if you like the content, if it's changed your life, if it's helped you in any way, there's a couple ways that you could support me uh, in the effort that I'm trying to do. First off, leaving me a review, a five-star review if you think it's worth it on uh, on Apple iTunes or uh, even just giving me an actual written review on iTunes. That really helps boost the ratings for the podcast. Um, Another way you can do it is just simply tell a friend. You know, if you know somebody in your life who uh, could benefit from the content and maybe is, is trying to do something big as well, point them in our direction and we'd love to get them on board and get them listening to some of the episodes. That would just mean the world to me, sharing the episodes with a friend. Another thing that I just have launched as of this afternoon uh, is a Patreon account. So part of the ability for me to grow the podcast is I need to be able to produce more episodes. And in order for me to produce more episodes, my, my biggest limiting factor is actually editing time. Well, I, I would love to be able to pay somebody to edit some of my podcasts so I can focus more on creating content and interacting with listeners. Um, so with that, I have launched a Patreon account. You can head over to patreon.com slash big things done. And on that webpage, you can donate to big things done and 100% 
of the funds that you donate go directly towards supporting this podcast, helping me uh, with some of the editing, some of the other equipment that I need to continue to make this thing happen. Um, So I would really appreciate your support. That's another great way to support the podcast. And finally, the last thing you can do uh, to help me support the podcast is uh, to give me feedback. Hey, what is working? What's not working? What would you like to hear more about? What would, what would you like to hear less about? I would love your feedback. You can drop me a line, bigthingsdonepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit me up on Facebook or Instagram on either AG underscore G-L-O-V-E-R. That's my personal Instagram account or Big Things Done Podcast. I'm on Instagram there as well with that handle. Would love to hear from you. That also helps me build the best content possible to spread the message that I truly think can change the world. I mean, that's the reason that I do this podcast in the first place. So thank you very much for your support in advance. All right. Hey, so let's dive into today. I want to talk about capitalizing on your opportunities and and more specifically a tactic that I use. And really, it's a mindset also uh, that I employ every single day to make sure that I'm maxing out uh, every opportunity that comes my way. And it revolves around the idea of aggressively attacking my enemies. Do you know that you have enemies right now? I have enemies. Every single day when I walk into school, when I walk uh, outside, when I engage with other people in my my businesses or uh, at, at in the Air Force Reserve, like I have enemies in my life. And you do too. They might be people. They might be things. They might be programs. They might be policies. They are all sorts of things. But you and I have enemies in our life. And if we're not careful, those enemies can take advantage of us and take away opportunities that present themselves each and every day to allow us to max out our potential. Let's start with a story here that I think will kind of really illustrate this because, man, it really hit home for me. So there I am. I'm a uh, young lieutenant. I I talk about this a lot because I learned so many lessons as a lieutenant in the Air Force. Um, But I was a lieutenant at Whiteman Air Force Base, right? And I'm I'm running an AMU, an aircraft maintenance unit. Got 250 people working for me. And uh, we're We've got 10 B-2 stealth bombers that are under our charge that we are uh, generating for daily flying as well as getting ready for uh, conventional weapons that we need to drop and always ready for any nuclear uh, weapons or nuclear exercises or, or nuclear generations that we would have to go do. The nuclear stuff was a pretty rare thing. I mean, we never really, we thankfully don't go to nuclear war, um, but we are always ready for it and we're always preparing for it. Well, on this particular day, we got a call that the Russians were coming to inspect us. So a little bit of background here. The B-2 is a stealth bomber, and as I mentioned, it also carries nuclear weapons. And uh, as America is a nuclear-armed country, along with other countries, including Russia, um, during the Cold War especially, the tensions between America and Russia were very, very high. Uh, and primarily, they were around nuclear weapons. I mean, there were some economic things that were in the background too, but there's always been this tension between America and Russia, especially in the, since the 19, we'll just say 1960s, right? Um, around nuclear weapons. And, and as both countries have continued to build and build and build nuclear weapons, it came to a point where both countries realized, hey, there's, there's really no point in continuing to just build these huge stockpiles of nuclear weapons that we would just completely destroy the planet with. Hey, so let's let's figure out a way that we can slowly kind of bring this stuff back down and keep everything somewhat in check so it seems a little bit more civil. It, it's weird talking about being civil with nuclear weapons, but that's kind of that's kind of what uh, a good way to describe it is. And so because of that, 
you know, 1970s, 1980s or so, they started talking about let's let's make some treaties between America and Russia. And so they made a treaty called the START Treaty. The START is an acronym. It stands for Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. And there have been several of these treaties kind of throughout the years. I believe the first one was signed in um, like the early 1990s, like 1991, I think, is when the first treaty was signed. And it kind of entered into force like in 1994. Um, since then, uh, there was a second treaty that was created called START II. So the first one was START I. Then the next one was START II. And then after that, there was a third treaty that we're under, or at least that we were under at the time, uh, called the New START Treaty. Right, and, and there have been talks about more treaties or getting out of treaties and all that with the current administration. I won't get into that. But essentially, what's important in this story is that a treaty existed and still exists between Russia and America to allow both countries to enter into the other country and inspect the nuclear weapons and the, the nuclear weapon delivery vehicles that each country has. You know, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, like that we would agree with that and that the Russians agreed to that, too. It just doesn't make a lot of sense that, you know, with knowing who we are and who they are, but that's the way it is. So there's a lot of rules that go into it and a lot of uh, policies and stipulations as far as how the Russians can declare, when they can declare coming to inspect and which bases they can go inspect at what times. And it is a lot of rules and stuff. But the bottom line is because of this treaty, the Russians were coming to inspect our B-2 bombers at Whiteman Air Force Base. And what they were specifically looking for is making sure that our weapons bay, that uh, that we hold the nuclear weapons in as we you know are flying the aircraft, that they're not too big. Uh, the START Treaty dictates how big our weapons bay can be, and therefore how big the the nuclear weapons can be themselves. Um, you know, you can't build a weapon bigger than the weapons bay of the B-2. So, so as was their right, the Russians were coming to inspect our B-2 bombers. Um, so as the aircraft maintenance unit officer in charge, uh, when the warning order dropped that the Russians were coming, I immediately sprung into high gear. Everything on the flight line had to stop. So we had multiple aircraft that were you know, torn to pieces because we were trying to fix them. All of that had to stop. We had to kind of clean everything up. We couldn't even put things back and kind of button everything up. We had to literally let everything sit as it was, which was kind of a kind of a weird thing. And uh, so we had to get ready for the Russians to come inspect us. And so they were coming, I believe, so we got the notice on a Monday, and I believe they were coming on a Wednesday, if memory serves me right. So we had about a day and a half, roughly, to get everything ready. And when I'm talking about getting everything ready, right, so we've got Russian inspectors coming to our base to look at our aircraft, which are top secret aircraft. So we knew that those people who were coming, most of them were intelligence officers of some sort, right? They were pretty high up intel officers who were trying to gain as much information as they could. There were definitely some engineers, aerospace engineers, some stealth engineers probably in the mix as well, uh, based on kind of who we knew was coming. And then there were just some people who were diplomats, kids or whatever, who probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to come into the United States other than this trip. Um, so they were just kind of there along for the ride. Um, you could kind of tell who was who when they when they stepped off the jet. But anyway, so with all of those high ranking and, and, and really kind of threatening people, right, with respect to our strategic defense and, and guarding our asset, um, we had to prepare everything in the aircraft hangars and the aircraft itself for that inspection. Um, so we had about a day and a half to clean out everything in the dock, right? I mean, we're, we're taking out step ladders, we're taking out, you know, hydraulic carts, we're taking anything and everything out of those aircraft docks that could potentially give them some sort of intelligence. Um, we didn't know what, what, it was, what was valuable and what wasn't, so we literally just took everything out. Uh, we cleaned everything. And then while we were waiting for the Russians to declare which specific aircraft they were going to go look at, right? So on Wednesday morning, they could declare 
uh, I believe it was three, yeah, it was three aircraft that they could go look at and they could go inspect. And so once they declared which aircraft they were going to go look at, we sprung into action and would go out and literally wrap tinfoil around our aircraft, right? So a $2.2 billion aircraft, and we would literally be on top and underneath wrapping the jet with these commercial rolls of tinfoil. And the reason for that was because the inspectors were only allowed to see the weapons bay. They were not privileged to be able to see anything else. And with the B-2, top secret stuff, I mean, there's all sorts of design characteristics and coatings on the aircraft that are top secret. We wouldn't want them to to see or understand or or even like dig their fingernails into, right? I mean, if they were to dig their fingernails into the outer coating of the aircraft, they could potentially take that back to Russia underneath this dude's fingernails, right? And somehow reverse engineer it. We did, we weren't going to take any chances. So we would tinfoil the entire aircraft. And so we had about three or four hours to tinfoil three aircraft that they determined that they were going to go inspect. Um, so um, as we're sitting there in the morning waiting for the Russians to tell us which aircraft they were going to go inspect, um, we were giving our morning briefing to our guys and, uh, you know, telling them what we need, what we're going to go do, making sure everybody had the right uh, timelines. They knew where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to have, all that kind of stuff. And during these briefings that we have every morning, I normally stand off to the side and I, I generally don't say anything because, you know, my my leadership had it under control. My my production superintendent, my uh, squadron chief, they all had it all figured out. And so there's really nothing else for me to say as a leader. You know, if they're doing the job, I'm going to let them do it. But at this particular call, I had to jump in a little bit and I'll tell you why. The... Um, the squadron chief, when uh, he was like one of the last guys to speak before I'm given an opportunity to speak uh, at the end of this briefing, and uh, the squadron chief said, hey guys, all right, listen up, you know where you're supposed to be, you know what we got to do, it's an important job, but hey, don't forget, they're not the enemy, treat them with respect, be professional, and let's, let's do our job. And so I wasn't going to say anything at the end of his speech, I had every intention of just letting everybody go off and do their thing and get the job done, but I had to step in at that moment, because something about what the chief said just didn't sit well with me. And so I got up and I said, Hey chief, I appreciate the words about professionalism. Totally agree. But Hey, let's not forget these guys are the enemy. There's a reason that they're coming to our base to inspect us. And there's a reason that we are having to tinfoil our goddamn jets. And that reason isn't because they're our friend. The reason is because they are our enemy. I don't want anybody to forget that our job today is extremely important because we are dealing with an and defending from an enemy. I mean, I said something basically to that effect. And it really just caught me by surprise that, you know, for all of the years that our country has been at conflict with Russia, right, whether it was the Cold War or direct conflict or, you know, even nowadays, right, and especially even at that time when, when this was when this went down, we were just starting to get into conflict a little bit with, with Russia in regards to Syria, right? I mean, obviously through proxies, not direct, but like that was there was definitely some tension there. So you're probably thinking there like, okay, what's the point of the story and why are you being such a hard ass on these guys who are just coming in to look at the weapons bay of our aircraft? Like, what's the big deal? Well, here's the deal. I knew that if for a second any of our guys let their guard down or had a mentality that the people who were coming out to inspect our aircraft were not the enemy, that increased the chance that we weren't going to do our job correctly. And it increased the chance even more that those inspectors could potentially get some sort of information that could alter the strategic advantage of the United States. That was a huge deal. Now, was it was it a very big concern? Was it a very big threat? No, I mean, I think it was probably minimal, but I wasn't going to take that chance. And I wasn't going to let my guys have even a shred of a chance of letting that happen because of a mindset that they aren't the enemy. And that got me thinking about what are the enemies in my life? I think I walk through life at times 
very oblivious to the enemies that are actually out there right now. Sometimes I kind of view my life like what the chief was saying, like, oh, you know, these people out there, they're not really the enemy or that technology is not really your enemy or, you know, your friends or, or that policy is not really your enemy. And I can kind of lull myself into thinking that these there's things out there in life that aren't really out there to get me. But man, you know, as I've thought about it more and as I've experienced life more and more, I've come to realize that there are real enemies out there to my life and to my progression and, and ultimately to me being able to max out and realize my fullest potential. Like all the big things that you and I have swirling around in our head that we want to go do. There are legit enemies out there that are trying to stop you from doing that. Now, they might not be malicious. They might not be purposefully trying to look and seek you out in particular and try to stop you as a person. But there are things and people and policies and and organizations out there that are opposed to what you're trying to do. And if you're not careful and if you don't have the right mentality, you're going to miss opportunities that are coming right in front of you because you don't believe that there's an enemy out there. See, when you approach life thinking that there's an enemy out there, when you believe that there is some sort of force, right? What you can call it spiritual, you can call it just nature, you can call it whatever you want. There is some force, something out there that is trying to keep you from maxing out your fullest potential. When you approach life that way, when you have that mindset, you start looking at life like a battle that has to be won. Every single moment of your life becomes some battle, some skirmish that you have to fight in order to win, right? And the more battles that you win, the more wins that you rack up, the closer you are at achieving your end objective, right? Somebody who goes through life and doesn't think that there's an enemy out there, right, is going to instantly be swept away. It's going to be led astray. It's going to be moved towards the path of least resistance, whatever the world just kind of lulls them into, right? And, and honestly, they're not going to make anything of themselves. Right? Think about a soldier or, or an army unit that's in enemy territory, right? If they were to walk through an enemy town, not thinking that there was any enemy at all or, or believing that nobody in that village was there to kill them, right? They're going to walk around. They're going to have their heads kind of all over the place. They're not going to have their weapons ready to go. They're just going to be walking around and they're going to be so vulnerable to attack. And more importantly, they're not going to be seeking opportunities to make sure that they can fortify the village or, or wherever they're walking through, right? To ultimately achieve their end strategic objective. If, on the other hand, that unit was to walk through that village with the understanding that there are people out here trying to kill me, there are people who don't want me here, they're going to approach that village very differently, right? They're going to be walking through ready to go, looking for opportunities to defend themselves, to build relationships with the people so that they can win the hearts and minds of the populace, right? They're going to be looking for ways to fortify themselves and make themselves better, That mentality is how you and I move through life and take advantage aggressively of every opportunity that comes our way. You have to understand that there's an enemy first. You have to recognize and appreciate that there is something out there trying to keep you from becoming who you are meant to be. And if you take that for granted, and if you don't take that seriously, you're going to find yourself 10, 15, 20 years from now wishing you had done things way differently and not be the person you wish you would have become. All right, so what does this look like for me? I want to kind of be providing some personal examples for you because it's easy for me just to kind of talk about theory into the microphone, but I don't know. I feel like if I was the one listening, I would want some some more practical down-to-earth stuff so I could kind of relate it to my everyday life. So here's a couple things that, for me, there are some enemies that I've I've um, identified, right, and how I'm, de- I'm, how I'm dealing with them. Um, so uh, I'm a dental student, and last year as a dental student, we I had a faculty member who would come in. She would come in... Um, one day a week, uh, I think in the mornings for us. And, uh, you know, she's a dentist. And so she's our faculty who's overseeing me treating my patients. And I, I don't know what I did with this with this uh, dentist. I don't know if I 
if I said something wrong or it just seems like every time that she would come and work with me, it seemed like she had something against me. And, and the reason I started picking up that vibe was because, you know, the work that I was doing, um, you know, we get graded on every time. So if I do a filling, if I do a crown or anything like that, any sort of dental procedure I do, uh, we get graded on at the end of it. And I don't know, I, like I'm not a, I'm definitely not a slouch by any means. I'm not necessarily Picasso when it comes to, um, or maybe Michelangelo, I don't know, who, some famous artist, right? I'm not like the greatest when it comes to dentistry, but you know, I'm not a slouch either. I do pretty well. And, and so normally my grades are, are pretty good. But whenever she comes by, for some reason, she always gives me lower grades. And, and, you know, honestly, I don't think I really deserve it. And I don't exactly know why. So when it comes to, you know, me graduating with in dental school with, at a very, with a very high GPA and with a high class rank, this instructor is my enemy. And if I didn't really realize that, I would just go through life thinking, oh, this person just has it out for me. And there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just a victim in this situation and, you know, whatever. I'm just going to, you know, sob about it and, and just hope I don't ever have her grade any of my stuff again. Well, you could do that. But the reality is <laughs> she's going to be coming every, every week to come grade my stuff. And I am not going to be prepared. And my grade is going to suffer because of it. So I have a choice. Do I take advantage of this opportunity and aggressively attack my enemy or do I just let it slide? Now, when I say attack my enemy, let me be very clear here. I'm not saying like as soon as she walks into the operatory, I tell her to F off or anything like that. I'm not, not talking about that at all, right? I'm talking about coming into that situation ultra prepared, doing extra steps and making sure that I have every I dotted and every T crossed and making sure my preparation or my procedure is as perfect as possible. I'm going to go in and put extra work in to make sure that I'm doing everything right. I'm going to seek out feedback afterwards to make sure that maybe she's picking up on something that I don't even realize so that next time around, I don't make that same mistake again and she gives me a, a better grade. See, that was an opportunity that presented itself that I wouldn't have picked up on if I didn't treat her as the enemy. And now that I've recognized that opportunity, I'm going to aggressively attack it. See, that's the benefit of understanding and knowing that you have enemies and then building the mindset of aggressively attacking things. So here's another example, especially when it comes to being aggressive and how you handle things. I think about my mom. She'd always would say yeah, the, the cheerleader joke, be aggressive, be aggressive. So shout out to my mom because I know she listens. Um, no, so when it comes to like just attacking things aggressively, right? One thing that comes to mind is my workouts, um, especially in the military, right? I would be at work at about 5.30 a.m. to get my morning briefings and I would be leaving work, honestly, no earlier than 6 p.m. It, it was very typical for me to work at least a 12-hour day, if not longer. Um, and that was not when we were even on exercises. And so a lot of times my days would run long and, you know, I wasn't leaving work until, you know, 7.30 or even almost 8 o'clock sometimes. And by that time, I'm super tired. I'm hungry. I just want to eat something, go to bed, and then just wake up and do it again tomorrow. And I, at that point, I had missed out on any opportunity for me to go work out. At least that's, that's what I thought. So I had to figure out how do I squeeze my workout into my busy day, right? Because a workout for me is very important. It is extremely important to me just feeling good personally and all the, you know, the hormones and all the endorphins and everything that are balanced properly in my body. I, I feel better about myself from a self-image standpoint. Um, I, I sleep better at night. I, I feel like I'm just a better person when I work out. So there's so many reasons why I need to work out each and every day, not to mention just being fit and having endurance and, and being able to 
conquer, you know, physical challenges and things like that. Like that's very important to me. And so when it came to my time and evaluating what time I had available to me, I had to be extremely aggressive about how I spent my time. And that meant right after work, I wasn't going out to the bar and hanging out with my buddies when I wanted to blow off steam. I was very aggressive about protecting the time that I spent after work. Or even more importantly, I was aggressive about getting to bed early because I knew that I wanted to wake up even earlier, right? I, w- I was waking up at 3.30 so I could get my workout in before I was at work at 5.30 so that I could actually do my day and have my workout done. Like that that type of aggressive nature only came because I approached my life right, and my workouts in particular as there are enemies out there that are trying to keep me from working out, like my work <laughs> and my friends, right? And so I had to be aggressive. And if I wasn't aggressive about protecting that time and, and protecting my workout space, I would have been swept away and not followed through on the the desire that I have to go work out. Because man, nobody wants to work out at 3.30 in the morning. I had to aggressively pursue that and, and build a mentality that no, this is important to me. I am going to do this. And there is no question. There is no negotiation. That type of aggressive nature, that is what you need in every aspect of your life that you want to max out in. If you don't want to max out, if you don't really care about your growth in a particular area, then don't bother with it. But if there's something that you want to max out, something you want to pursue, something you're passionate about, something that you care about and you want to actually bring into this world, you have to be aggressive. So get after it. Find your enemies and attack them each and every day. Don't stop until they're absolutely gone. That's where progress is made and that's what counts at the end of the day. Guys, you got me fired up. Know your enemies. Attack them aggressively. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, keep doing big things.